Hello, Internet. Mike Erie, Andy Laura. We're here for podcast number four for all you Voxers that are out there. And um, throwing punches about things we say. Oh, my goodness. Voxers. Oh, the Voxers. That's right. (laughs) Voxers are Voxy, you know, as they as they uh, as they appear to others. The uh, Andy's wearing his uh, Anaheim Ducks uh, hat today. So how are the Ducks doing? I'm wearing. I don't care. All right. Um, Ohio State still undefeated. I might as well just keep, you know, I might as well no longer say that and just assume it for the rest of uh, the football season. That's that's working for me on the other end of things. I'm, I just don't even want to talk about it until until they win. It's Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and there was there was some some discussion on social media this week whether or not Adele would like the Ducks and the clear answer is yes because she clearly <laughs> likes losers. Hence all of her songs about breaking up. And um, my my sweet little girl, she's ten. She said, "You know, I really don't like Adele's new song. She just sounds kind of squeaky." I said, "That's perfect, squeaky, squeaky." That's right. Hello from the other side. I'm gonna I'm gonna affirm your comment because I think that just makes her that much more like Jesus. I oh mean, boy. If she loves the losers, oh, then hey, man. you know, let's. Oh uh, boy, I'll back it. Well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, uh, I got I got a question about finding nightfall, finding nightfall <laughs> stuff. Okay, and. And I wanted to respond. Somebody tweeted like, hey, I couldn't find any Nightfall stuff. And I, and I wanted to reply by saying it's in the devil's <laughs> workshop. That secular screaming music. But where is it actually? So Nightfall, where would you find Nightfall? Okay, so this is, um, I, I would have to, I'd have to put it up actually. Because the it's so long ago. It was like 2004. It's almost nine years ago. Oh, God. Or what's, what's nine the years. What's 11? nine years? What's nine years with the internet? Right. Um, if you were to search it now, you actually will probably find more stuff from like this European metal band called Nightfall. What? There's a lot of duplicate band names steal? out there. Did you steal their name? We did not. We, we, it was far after that we okay. learned that they were actually a pretty pretty popular band in Europe. Nice. They don't do a lot in the US. Anyhow, um, I have to... I'll... I'll I'll do you guys a little bit of a treat, and I'll, I'll get some stuff up That's and a link on the about. blog That's uh, what for I'm this talking. episode. There was somebody who actually asked. Yeah, it, yeah. If you, hey, if you if you enjoy, uh, you know, uh, early two thousands emo screamo hardcore bands, and I, I think you dig it for sure. Yes, All and right. Satan Satan rejoices as well. <laughs> um, so that's big. So so again, I'm Mike. We're here with Andy. Uh, I am. Uh, the biggest sinner in the room and the world's worst sinner, as we talked about last week. And there was a lot of agreement about that. Just publicly, a lot of agreement that I am the world's worst sinner. And so that was that was helpful. Affirming. Affirmation. So, uh, man, it, we, we get so much good feedback and so many good questions. So here's here's one that is not an LGBTQ kind of conversation that, that I'd love to do a future podcast on. Um, she writes... Here's how she signs her email. So how great is this? Mm-hmm. Fighting the patriarchy while loving Christ and listening to Pearl Jam. Now that that may be the greatest sign off ever. So so uh, she says I'm a feminist. Why yeah. does the modern church hate slash fear me? That's the short version. The long one is this. I feel that as a feminist, I don't fit into the modern church. I've been laughed at when I identified myself as a feminist. I've been told that feminism is breaking the foundation of the modern family. I've been told that feminism has no place in marriage. The reason this bothers me is that I've been made to feel that following God's word and believing that as a woman I have rights and choices are incompatible. Um, I've defended my feminist beliefs and can do that well except in a church setting because they just quote passages about submission. 
Uh, I've tried to explain that feminism to me is about choice, how far in school you want to go, being able to choose when and who you marry, if and when you have children, if you go to work or stay home with those children. Uh, there are still places in the world where girls and women do not have these choices. Um, I was wondering if you could recommend um, any pastors, teachers who write about this topic. Uh, also, the irony of asking a man for help regarding feminism isn't lost on me. I just respect your opinion. So, so uh, I, I do think there are some really good authors that you should consider on this. Uh, one is named Jesus, and the other is named the Apostle Paul. So, so Jesus, and, and, and part of it depends on the definition of the word uh, feminist. Uh, I, I've heard it used in a number of different ways. I've used, uh, I've heard it used to describe. Uh, a kind of agenda um, that goes beyond equality, uh, that that it aims to eliminate any gender differentiation uh, whatsoever. Uh, I'm not uh, a feminist in that respect, nor would Jesus be. Uh, I've heard feminism used uh, to describe a man-hating kind of uh, philosophy or reaction against patriarchy. Uh, I don't think uh, that's quite where Jesus would be. But if feminism, in the way that you define it, means um, access, uh, equality of identity, worth, significance, and value, mm -hmm. uh, the transcending cultural norms into full opportunity in the kingdom of God and into the world, mm -hmm. then, oh my goodness, Jesus would be the first feminist. I mean, yeah. in that sense, absolutely. And we can, someday, we will go into this, young lady, because Jesus, uh, as we we've been talking about was so stinking radical, but one of the ways he was radical is he allowed women disciples. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Luke 8 talks about women that would follow him around and even support him. Uh, you have this very famous episode about Mary and Martha. Uh, where Jesus is in their home and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, which was a common rabbinical way to describe the posture of a disciple listening to a rabbi or a teacher. You, you have uh, the women, of course, being the first ones to, uh, to find Jesus was resurrected and being commissioned to announce to the male disciples. Uh, then you have in Paul's thought, and Paul gets a really bad rap here, no one in the first century would have been surprised by the statement, uh, uh, wives submit to your husbands. That was assumed. That was the cultural narrative. What would have been unbelievably surprising, and one of the reasons why more women followed Jesus than men in the first couple of centuries, is the fact that husbands, in Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians, were given much more instruction about loving their wives, giving themselves up for her, loving her as a husband would love his own body. All of that was revolutionary for the day, let alone in Galatians, where Paul writes, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. So, so you have in both Jesus and in Paul's ministry, and Paul identifies a woman apostle, several deaconesses. He calls many women partners in the gospel. So what you have is contrary to the cultural narrative of the day, uh, you have these seeds uh, of revolution that uh, that would, would have borne and still bear incredible fruit. Now, there is a big biblical debate about the role of women in the church. We're going to address that. But uh, if you want advocates for your view, um, study Paul and Jesus and pay very close attention to Jesus's practice in Luke, particularly of having women at key points in his ministry. And it would not have been lost on the original audience. And Paul too, Paul gets a bad rap. But his letter to Ephesians, before he says anything about wives and husbands, 
he introduces a whole topic by saying, hey, as Christians, let us submit to one another. And then he gives an example of wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to fathers, fathers to children, masters to slaves, slaves to masters. He's talking about all of the ways the gospel rearranges these embedded narratives. So there you go. That's a great question. That's a great question. I read that. I was wondering if we were going to address that. See, now I don't tell Andy anymore <laughs> what we're going to talk about. So the first po- first couple of podcasts, he had a run sheet, and we just didn't pay any attention to that. And by we, I mean me. And and so now I don't even tell him because I want his honest his honest reaction, whether it's more from the nightfall part of his personality, the screaming, or the Dakota uh-huh. part of his personality, which is kind of dreamy, yeah, you know, kind of soft. Okay. Kind of Adele. Yeah. All right. Next question. Love this. Loving the podcast. Uh, this uh, topic that we've been talking about is especially timely for me personally as my brother-in-law just came out to my wife's family. And all of a sudden, this issue is so much more real for me. I and I think a lot of people listening and commenting are trying to figure out when does truth come into the conversation. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about how... Jesus, as a um, as a beautiful and intrusive and gracious presence into the world, and I mean intrusive in the best sense, he's disruptive, he disrupts mm-hmm. the status quo, that Jesus would challenge both affirming and non-affirming parts of this conversation, that Jesus has uh, would challenge every position of every issue. Uh, because we all fall short. And and so we've been spending a lot of time almost exclusively on the non-affirming, what Jesus would say to those who do not affirm either the legitimacy or morality or the blessing of LGBTQ relationships, um, outworking of behavior, whatever. And, and so when Jesus, it speaks of Jesus in, in the book of John as someone full of grace and truth. And that has become a shorthand way of talking about grace and we misunderstand grace, but grace to the modern conception is, oh, okay, that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And truth means that I love someone enough to tell them that's not okay. That's not okay. That's not okay. Right. And if you define grace and truth in those ways, well, then clearly their intention. And I think the questioner represents a very popular understanding of this issue. If I'm loving them and not judging them, and I'm seeing myself as a world's worst sinner, and my sin is a is a two by four, and their sin is a speck, doesn't love also require that I have to tell them they're wrong and that their behavior is destructive? And doesn't love also require that that I intervene in some way, shape, or form? Mm-hmm. And so I want to spend some time answering that question because I think it's a very good question. I'm going to answer it a bit obscurely. By beating up on a phrase I've heard a lot in LGBTQ conversations, which is uh, "love the sinner, hate the sin," yeah. and and I, I've heard that as kind of a heart posture uh, towards people that tries to bring together this idea of grace, accepting people where they are, and truth, letting them know that what they're doing is wrong. And so, a, sh- a shorthand way of combining grace and truth to this mind, uh, or to many minds, is is um, the idea of, of well, I'm just going to love, I'm going to love the sinner, but I'm going to hate the sin, mm-hmm. and, and and practically that works itself out in saying, yep, going to love you, accept you, but I'm also going to tell you what you're doing is wrong. And certainly there has to be a place for this, right? I mean, if 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 my my um, 
son is a drug addict, if, if um, a dear friend of mine is an alcoholic, there, there are times for interventions. There's no question about it. But we really want to spend time on why it is that we rush so quickly to that. It, it's almost as if the greatest fear of the non-affirming crowd is to be seen as condoning sin. Mm-hmm. Instead of the greatest fear of the non-affirming crowd being seen as unloving, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So we'd rather be seen as unloving than get the rap that we're condoning sin. And the whole table fellowship idea is that it seems like Jesus was okay getting the rap of condoning sin for the sake of loving other people. Mm-hmm. So, so let's explore this, Andy. Is that all right? Is that a good topic? That's all right. Like, can I can I preempt just a thought I'm having, not asking a question, but yes. kind of maybe where I think some of this comes from when. When I look at a lot of the uh, transformations in the Bible of people then converting, so much of it seems to rally around some instantaneous conversion in which truth is revealed and then therefore people are saved. Right. I don't think often we see something in process. And so maybe, I don't know if maybe that's what's kind of dictating more of our regular understanding of thinking. That's, like, a, great, well, that's I, a great point. If I get to truth, then that's going to be the moment of conversion for that person right. without... Right really resting in the patience of relationship right that gets us there and it's not necessarily instantaneous well look at first of all that's 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 exactly right because you look at paul's conversion right he was known as saul he was persecuting the church he was killing christians uh he has a moment where jesus dumps him on his fanny Mm -hmm. uh off his donkey and and hey you are persecuting me and that's the truth. And yeah. so Saul repents. He um, and, and then he reflects on the great grace shown to him. But then you have somebody like Peter. When did Peter become a true disciple of Jesus? Well, Peter, it, it's so funny when you read the Gospels. Peter's a mess. Yeah, you know, there the, it goes from Peter being one of the first ones to recognize who Jesus is and his authority to Peter being rebuked as an agent of Satan and opposing the crucifixion to Peter denying Jesus three times yeah. to to being one of the the rocks on which the church is built. I mean, you have this incredible and beautiful narrative. And I, and I don't relate to Paul at all in his conversion story. I relate to Peter. Mm-hmm. My wife relates to Paul. There was a moment for her. Mm-hmm. When a speaker said to her, you will never be good enough. That's why you need Jesus. Those words, after my wife's years of performing for God and trying to get God to love her, those words mm. pierced her soul mm. uh, and, and brought her to uh, a joyful acceptance of Jesus. And so, and so both are true. But loving the sinner, hate the sin, I think is also embraced because... There, there, I think, is a perception that is, is somewhat grounded in reality, perhaps, that, that homosexual behavior is now being pushed, not just to be tolerated, but to be approved and celebrated. And if you don't approve and celebrate of it, you're hateful, you're homophobic, um, our kids have to learn about it in school, blah, 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 blah. So the non-affirming crowd is, is thinking, listen, we, there's such cultural pressure to accept this we have to maintain our distinctiveness by saying we don't. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's, those are very, very good questions. The issue is, if you're not going to approve, how do you not approve? And, and when and how and where and why do you make that disapproval known? Yeah. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to hold it. It's, it's, 
the the non-affirming crowd, the way Jesus would, I think, address the non-affirming crowd is the way in which they hold their non-affirming position. Yeah. Right? So it's full of hypocrisy, judgment, self-righteousness, blah, blah, blah. So I think this topic, the hating sin but loving the sinner, gets us into a lot of this goopy stuff. And per usual, we won't edit anything or re-record anything, but, um, you know, we'd love your feedback as always. Please. So, I want to beat up a little bit on this, Andy, okay, and see what you think. All right, I'm about to witness a murder. Well, no, just a just a just a beating, okay. just a beating of this of this statement. All right, because we, what we've been talking about is Jesus fronted love, as a friend of mine says it, uh, without qualification, without footnotes. He fronted love, and the kindness of God leads people to repentance. And there are moments, of course, where you do get that instantaneous revelation of truth. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm fallen. Yes, I need saving. But in a topic like this where it's been so politicized and it's so entrenched and there's so much distrust, hatred, animosity on both sides, is that is that the primary way it's going to work? Is that the ordinary way it's going to work? So let me beat up on this, Andy. Okay. All right? I'm watching. Beating up point number one, love the sinner, hate the sin. I've only heard almost exclusively in, return, in terms of uh, LGBTQ conversations. I've never heard anyone say, I, I love Mike Erie, but I hate that he's chunky. I hate his obesity. I love, I love Mike Erie, but I, I hate that he's condescending sometimes. I love Mike Erie, but I absolutely hate... The, the the way he eats pumpkin pie or whatever whatever mm-hmm. silly or serious thing there is so mm-hmm. it's almost exclusively used mm-hmm. in conversations about sexuality so yeah. th- there again we bump into the double standard right yeah i mean i've i've heard it in i've had friends who've had some pretty strong family difficulties around alcoholism around drug addiction around that kind of thing and okay, i've heard and it thrown ar- yeah and i've heard it thrown around in that same conversation personally well then beating up point number 1 loses its sting <laughs> if it's applied consistently my beating point okay. up number one was I, I i've heard it and even if it's true it's applied inconsistently yes and you're saying no i've heard it used in other places great yeah i've only heard it used when in reference to sexuality sure. conversations uh, yeah i and i've definitely heard it used a lot in those kinds of conversations. So so, but I it, it, so if, if someone takes that general posture towards themselves and everybody, okay, beating up point number one loses its force. Sure. But I have more points, Andy. Great. Okay, number two. Okay. Uh, this, this posture is very, very confusing to people uh, because it's tough to differentiate what I do from who I am. So if someone said to me, hey, Mike, I love you, but I hate your heterosexuality. I'd go, uh, well, uh, that's tough. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not quite sure what to do with that statement. So <laughs> for, for those that are same-sex attracted who have never chosen those feelings to say, we love you but hate your sin, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, confusing, pretty confusing statement. Oh, yeah. Because Maybe. if I say to my wife, hey, I love you but I hate your cooking. Hey, hey, I love you but I, but I hate the way you complain all the time. Hey, I love you but I hate that you're a nag. I mean, whatever. Are any of those conversations going to communicate love? No. Not, no. Because no, no one's going to hear the love part and, and that's me. So, so should we be surprised that this statement hasn't exactly felt loving to people? Right. right, I love you, but I need to let you know there's a part of you I don't love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Go. What were you gonna say? I was say. I mean, it's, it's such insider mentality and club mentality, though. Totally. You know, it's it's totally a way to like affirm another Christian for like stand, standing on like I, I just don't know how to embrace my so and so relative who's homosexual and a friend saying to them like, "Hey, man, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner." It's like it validates the fact right. that like you don't know how to deal with the situation, but I'm gonna right. validate your tension with with their sin. Right. But it's like that that comment does not work trying to discuss it with those outside of that conversation. Oh my goodness, no. Makes no sense. And that's beating up point number three. The fruit of that. Who's been won over by that? Yeah. Is that... And do you ever hear it from Jesus? Do you ever hear... I just... I I threw out that we were talking about this today and someone quoted Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Mm -hmm. Right? Do what is good. So, So... And I'm like, great. Tell me anywhere where Jesus says to view people that way. I'm all about actions. Remember the good kind of crino from last week? I can say, yes, there are actions that are not beneficial. There are actions that are not congruent with the kingdom. But the shorthand of love the sinner, hate the sin does not feel loving. It kills relationships. And it's it's not Jesus said even remotely. Let me ask you, Andy. Let's compare two statements. Okay. All right. Tell me. Which one is of Jesus? All right. All right. Love the sinner, hate the sin is statement number one. Okay. Statement number two is this. But to you who are listening, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them with expecting, without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, which one sounds like loveless? This, which one sounds like Jesus, first of all? Statement one or statement two? I feel like this is an ambush, but that's I, I, right. I think I'm going to go with number two. Yes, that's number two. <laughs> number two is Jesus. As far as I know, love the sin, hate the sinner. Uh, love, no, 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 no. Whoops. Love the sinner, hate the sin goes back to Augustine, according to my crack internet research team, namely Google. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't... So the posture Jesus gives is love without qualification. There's no but... There's no and. There's love your enemy and love your neighbor Mm. as you love yourself. How do I love myself? Mm. Well, I love myself knowing that there's all sorts of jacked up stuff, Mm -hmm. right? I can tell, I mean, I'm the biggest sinner in this room right now and on the internet, quite frankly. And yet, I somehow am able to live in the tension of accepting who I am, recognizing I'm in process, knowing that Jesus is uh, forming me and shaping me by his grace, his word, his truth, and recognizing the truth that there's still some jacked up stuff going on in me. Mm-hmm. So what do you think mm-hmm. of that point? Okay. You're still not yeah. convinced. I, no, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced, I think. So, so the objection is, yeah, but didn't Jesus hate sin? Doesn't he hate sin? And that, uh, Go ahead. Is that, I think, 
are, are we going to run into a language problem with this? I mean, because it's like when we look at because he also says like, you know, you cannot know me if you don't hate your mother, hate your father, hate your brother. Right. You know, and we it's like if we tie in those two terminology, well, what do we look at? How do we how do What's we look hate? at that? What is hate? You know, mean? what does hate actually mean when we're talking about that? And that is that. Yep. It, and, and it's so funny because <laughs> and this is so this is the crazy part. Yes. Jesus is opposed to sin, but you know whose sin he's opposed to? Yours! Your sin! That's the stuff he wants to deal with first! You! You! You're the biggest sinner in the room! Come on! This whole thing, love the sinner, hate the sin, I think Jesus reframes it into the the popular counter slogan, uh, love the sinner and hate your own sin. Yeah. Right? Because if my sin is the two by four, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And and their sin is the speck. Mm-hmm. Then what's that say? Yeah, love the sinner means okay. Hate the sin means I'm going to hate the two by four before I hate the speck, right? Yeah. So yeah. what Jesus does? I mean, even the woman who gets caught in adultery. Yeah. So this is the big objection, right? So so a woman gets caught in the very act of adultery, in the very act. This is in John eight, and and the religious leaders bring her before Jesus. Because uh, if if Jesus is going to defy the Torah and not call for her either public condemnation or stoning, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. which which was the 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 uh, the regulation under the law was to put her to death. Mm-hmm. If he defied that regulation, then then the Pharisees had room to accuse him. Mm-hmm. If he uh, pursued that regulation and put her to death, well, then he loses his appeal to the crowds, right? So they, right. they trap him completely. And Jesus is beautiful. Jesus, it says he just begins to write in the dust and so much speculation about what's he, what, what he's writing. Yeah. And there's a, there's a passage in Jeremiah that talks about Messiah will come and, and write the sins of the world into dust. I'm totally mm. paraphrasing that. So, mm-hmm. so something, maybe there's something there, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. But, but Jesus very famously says, okay, well, whoever's sinless, go ahead and throw. Yeah. So instead of making her sin the issue, he makes their sin the issue. Yeah. And so from oldest to youngest, it says, because us old folks, Andy, you're a young buck. Us old guys, we know how much of a sinner we are because we have more time to do it. Yeah. And then Jesus looks at her and says, oh, oh, no one condemns you. Neither do I. Go and live. Go and live your life of sin. No, go and leave. Leave your life of sin. And people will say, see, see, see. He told her, sin no more. Shorter grace, but then right away, sin no more. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, I want you to notice what Jesus does first. Right? First, he confronts the self-righteous judges. Mm -hmm. And then he, and only he. Yeah. After he fronts grace, says, go and leave your life of sin. Right. Right? Right. Did she need to be told she was a sinner? Did she need to be convinced of that? Yeah, didn't need to. Nope, didn't need to. Not even remotely. She knew it. She was Mm -hmm. caught. Mm -hmm. Interesting that they didn't bring the guy who she was having adultery with, right? Back to patriarchy and Pearl Jam. (laughs) Fascinating that there's no dude there. Yeah. It's just a woman. Right. But what's Jesus do? See, we, we just think, well, we've got to rush through the grace to get to the point where we say, don't sin anymore. Yeah. And, and, and certainly, 
I'm not, I'm not advocating even remotely a, hey, we never speak out against sin. No, 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 no. But who does, whose sin does Jesus confront first? Well, it's back to last week. He confronts ours. Mm-hmm. So love the sinner, hate the sin is better formulated. Love the sinner, hate my own sin. Yeah. And then, and then, if it's appropriate for me to deal with a plank, or excuse me, a speck in someone else's eye, yeah. I'm doing it as a fellow sinner. I'm not doing it from a position of superiority. I'm not doing it from a position of judgment. I'm doing it as a fellow struggler. Now, that doesn't mean it'll be received well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it means it's a far different conversation mm-hmm. than just lobbing this statement, love the sinner, hate the sin, around thinking that that actually describes the posture of heart mm-hmm. that Jesus is wanting from his followers. Yeah. Because love but hate the sin feels like I'll love you if you change. I'll love you if you get better. And and, and I think for folks uh, who need to understand the way that Jesus loved me, it was I love you and all of you. And that love is transformative. That love won't let you stay the same way. But it's love that leads the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so, so I think what Jesus, I think what Jesus is doing. Um, is inviting us to a different sort of posture. Now, this I'm going to tread here, Andy, into some stuff that lo- loads of people are going to disagree with. All right, all right. Like, I'm looking forward to it. That hasn't that hasn't <laughs> happened before. Um, here, here. This is my personal experience, and, and I believe it, it's what Paul and Jesus are getting at. That that if I have to bring disapproval in early. To the conversation what will happen if if the relationship is going to be maintained that part of their life will be minimized or hidden uh so so if i go and we talked about pornography so if i go to my accountability partners and i say listen man i totally totally blew it that's a poor way to say it i totally i totally Messed up is wrong. Screwed up is wrong. I totally sinned in this regard. All right, how about that? Yeah. And and uh, and they look at me and they say, "Ma'am, we love you. We're committed to you, but we just hate pornography. We hate the pornography in you." Um, there is a, a pretty good shot that next time that happens, I'm not going to bring it fully. <laughs> to, to, to what benefit it? <laughs> Is it for you? <laughs> right. Yeah. For, I know it's for sin. For to be just like, once you know how much I hate that. Right. Hey, hey I love you. Right. And you heard me say that now, so I love you. Right. But, but hey, I hate that. So, you know, just next time, right. just, uh, I don't know, don't do it. Exactly. So you're just, <laughs> so what's it do? It just pushes it into hiding. Yeah. Um, and, and what you have is a, is a, is a particularly gay, gay young people in churches, they know the church so strongly disapproves, it's just hidden. Yeah. And, uh, and so... Instead, what I think is, and I've had this happen, man. I've had conversations with people who have confessed incredible things. They know that they're sin, but they do that after you front love. Mm -hmm. So we had a young lady who is a a friend of ours. We've known for a long time who pulled us aside one night and said, listen, I've had an affair with a pastor's wife for, um, for years. Okay, and and the pastor's wife has three kids, and I, I think I think she'd said it was like six years or something, and and so my wife and I just say, okay, well, tell us about that, and so she begins to unpack it, 
Now, we don't say anything. At the end of the conversation, we just say, hey, we're committed to you. We are absolutely fundamentally committed to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I want to pray right now for God's blessing on you. Mm-hmm. And so we just prayed for. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Uh, three or four days later, we get a Facebook message that says, hey, I'd really love to know what you guys think about this. So we take her out to dinner, my wife and I, and um, we just ask, well, what's your story? And it turns out there's abuse from religious authority figures. I mean, just awful, awful stuff. Now, I'm not saying every, you know, every uh, gay person out there is acting out because of abuse in their background. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. But in this case, we actually got to one of the core issues mm-hmm. because we fronted love. We yeah. surprised with grace. Yeah. Right? She didn't have to be told that she was wrong to have an affair with a pastor's wife. She knew it. Yeah. She was watching to see what we would do with that information. Yeah. Were we going to slam her, judge her? Do I think that was wrong? I think that was wrong. Absolutely, I think that was wrong. Right. Of course, I think that was wrong. Mm-hmm. But she knew it already. Mm-hmm. And what enabled us to get to, the, to one of the core issues in that moment wasn't, hey, we're going to love you, but we hate this. I just we just didn't say that. Yeah. We just said we're for you. Yeah. And we want you to deal with whatever is prompting this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that opened up incredible conversation. Yeah. And I don't know if this person is loving Jesus or not loving Jesus or whatever. I just know that that we um if 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 love is transformative, I believe it is, and grace is transformative, it's precisely because it calls us out of hiding. Yeah. And what calls us out of hiding yeah. is the absolute precondition that we're loved and accepted already. Yeah. I'm yelling in my little home office. <laughs> I'm getting fired up. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Are you feeling I'm it? Feeling Are you it. smelling what I'm cooking? I am. I am. In a metaphorical I'm, sense? I am, and I'm coming over for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's last big point. All right. Last beat up point. Okay. Uh, I think love... The sinner hate the sin. Uh, misunderstands the nature of love. Yep. Ooh. Okay. All right. Now, love, love, twoo love, <laughs> is a really horribly abused word. Oh yeah. Because it can describe my love of ice cream, my love of Pearl Jam, my love of Ohio State, my love of my wife, my love of Jesus, Jesus' love of me. It can describe anything from the pedantic and the sophomoric to the exalted and the beautiful, right? It's it's it, it almost means nothing. Yeah. For a lot of yeah. folks, it means just simple acceptance. Mm-hmm. So love means I accept you no matter what you do, and I approve of everything you do. Mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna beat up on that view, but we're also gonna beat up on the view that says love means I have to tell them the truth about themselves and their behavior. Yeah. So there may be a place for that, but it's only after certain things are true. Yeah. All right. So the way we start defining love is we start with what God is like, because God is love. And this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Right. Okay. So love is an action word. Yes. It's not an affection word. 
Because you can act lovingly towards someone that you don't love Mm -hmm. in terms of your affection. So in the Bible, love is an action word. Now there are, and because there are different words for love, there are different words that have different slants on that. A friendship love, a brotherly or sisterly love, an erotic love, totally. But love like faith is an action word in the Bible. It's, It's a verb. And so, how does God love us? And if uh, any of you were at EV Free when I, I gave uh, a teaching on this, this this has totally shaped my thinking. It's from Scott McKnight. Scott, with one T, McKnight wrote a book called A Fellowship of Different. Different. Not difference, but difference. Different me, with do, an S. Do you want me to put a link on the on the post? Oh yes, for it? Okay. it's so good. We'll do that. It's so good. But he defines. He does this great thing, and, and it's the best I've uh, I've read at a popular level about what love is. He says, uh, "Love. If you look at how God loves us, love is a rugged commitment first and foremost. Mm. It's a rugged commitment, and, and the Bible's word for that is covenant." It is God's promise by his own nature and self. It's not his promise if, it's his promise that, right? It's a covenant. It's binding. Um, It's not breakable. It's not a contractual sort of thing. Uh, Love is a rugged commitment. And you see this um, all throughout the covenants that are made in the scriptures, uh, particularly the large ones that God just simply says, like to a guy like Abram, I will bless you and make your name great. You know, or to David, someone, one of your descendants will sit on the throne of Jacob forever. Mm-hmm. Or the new covenant in Jesus, mm-hmm. his body was broken, his blood was shed, inaugurating a new covenant for us. So first of all, love is a rugged commitment. It's an action word. It's also a rugged commitment uh, to be with somebody. It's a rugged commitment to somebody, but it's also a rugged commitment to be with them. The great covenant promise of God to God's people all throughout the Bible at every step of the way is I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And and he says that all over the place. So, um, uh, you know, in Exodus, uh, I will be with you. I will lead you out of Egypt. I will conquer the Red Sea. I will lead you into the wilderness. I will be with you in the promised land. Joshua, don't be afraid. I will be with you. Right? What's Jesus say at the very end of Matthew? Um, I will be with you uh, to the very end of the age. God's withness is one of his promises. So love is a rugged commitment to somebody that no matter what what they're doing and what they're like, you are committed to them. Mm-hmm. Secondly, oh, this is my wife calling on the phone. Hi, Justy, you're on the podcast right now. Oh, say oh, hi. Say hi, Internet. Hi, Internet. How are you? So, Andy and I are just recording. All right, well, I love you. I'm going to let you go then. Okay. I, I love you. That's how raw this is. That's right. Mrs. Erie checking in right there. Wondering what her husband does at home all day. <laughs> looks at Andy. Okay, yeah. Looks at yeah, yells at the top of his lungs yeah. at, at Andy at five feet away. <laughs> yes, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh no, please. So so love is a rugged commitment to another. Love is a rugged commitment uh, to be with another. Uh, and then he says number number three, love is a rugged commitment to be for another. You're you're an advocate for them. You're on their side. You're for them. 
and and the other person knows you're for them you're committed to them you're committed to be with them you're committed for them so of course jesus is our advocate the spirit is our advocate Mm -hmm. there's a sense that god uh, is for us in our flourishing and then the last one is it's a rugged commitment um towards something it's love is a rugged commitment towards something there's a telos a goal of love now in in the case of god's love it's to christ likeness it's not just i'm lovable because i'm me and i'm the apple of his eye and i'm special yeah but the love is purposeful it it has a point to it the love uh, the New Testament is really, really clear. It's to Christ-likeness, to being more and more like Christ, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. So so love is a telos. So when I love my kids, if I'm doing it well, they know I'm committed to them no matter what they do. I, I tell them this. You could go to jail. You could steal a car. I will love you no matter what. There is nothing you could do, nothing you could do to yeah. take away my love. Yeah, I, I'm committed to be with them. I love being with them. I'm with them when they're good days. I'm with them on their bad days. I've just started when when my son has a rough day and he's entering teenage years and hormones are starting to kick in and he's upset. And I just go up and, and, and he's in his room and he's kind of like, you know, mercurially sort of stewing on stuff. Uh, I just go up and sit in his room with him. I don't talk. I just sit there and I'm just with him. And, and I found that after 20 minutes or so, we can then kind of work into whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the issues. But I'm, I'm committed to being with him. He knows I'm for him. Mm-hmm. He knows it to the depths of his being that I'm for mm-hmm. him. But presence and association means something. Oh, boom! Look at Andy, Laura. Wow. That's right. Because the presence and the association run the risk of people saying, oh, well, you're just, you're just condoning their behavior. Right. Um. But then, but but here's the point, all right? Here is the punchline. Love is a rugged commitment to be with somebody, to be uh, to to be committed to them, to be for them, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's also a rugged commitment. Love them towards something. So with my kids, I love them towards maturity, to, towards independence, towards being good citizens and loving Jesus. And there's only so much of that I can control, right? I mean, ultimately, right. Right. I I do my love, and they do what they do. But here's the point, McKnight mates, and this is the one that changed everything for me. The only time love towards something feels like love is when the other three loves are felt first. So the reason I can say to my children, hey, let's not do that anymore. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's wise. I think it's wrong. Whatever, however I say that, the reason I can do that and it still feels like love is because they know I'm committed to them, I'm with them, and I'm for them. Now, what we do in the LGBT community often is we reverse that. I'm going to love you towards heterosexuality. I'm going to love you so you don't sin anymore. I'm going to love you so that. And it feels like coercion. It feels like love with an agenda. It feels like I'm loving you just as an entrance into seeing your repentance. Yeah. But if you're actually committed to them, regardless of what they do, and you're committed to be with them, regardless of what they do, and you're committed to be for them, regardless of what they do, then... They might be interested in what you're loving them towards. Yeah. 
And for me, I mean, that was that conversation with that young lady, right? We'd had history with her. We didn't react. We just went, we're for you. Mm-hmm. And, and not that we figured out. I mean, I, I am the chief of sinners. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But the reason love the sinner, hate the sin, falls short of the biblical command to love is it rushes to the, to the last part without thoroughly doing the first three first. Yeah. And if you don't, if you just lead with, well, I just need you to know I totally disapprove of what you're doing, but I'm committed to you. Yeah. It's, it never feels like love. It feels like manipulation, coercion. It feels like agenda. Mm-hmm. Here's what I found, and people are going to howl at me. Because this offends both sides, as Jesus should, right? On the one hand, people that say love just means accepting you no matter what you're doing Mm -hmm. uh, and approve of everything you're doing. No, no, love does not mean that. Love does not mean I approve of everything you're doing. Right. Right? It doesn't. God doesn't approve of everything I'm doing. To suggest otherwise is to misrepresent the Bible. We're not talking about a lukewarm tolerance here. Yeah. Right? Right. So, so yes, love has opinions. My wife loves me as an expression of that love. She hides the Halloween candy because she knows I need to be loved towards skinniness. That, that's the character of kindness in the, in the breakdown of love. That, that is very kind to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She's loving me towards skinniness. And I need to be loved that direction. But I'm not offended by that because she has demonstrated through 15 years that she loves me no no mu- no uh, how no matter how my body looks. Yeah. She's shown that. Yeah. And and so I can receive her correction as love. Same thing with our Father in heaven, right? Yeah. That that's exactly how Jesus works right. with us. So Go for it. Is this somewhat, um, I don't want this to boil down too much or be overly simplified, but that type of that type of corrective love to me, and you said this even in the second pod- podcast, instantaneously makes more sense in a parenting relationship. Yep. You know, you, you bring the child into this world. I raised you. I've been with you for 13 years. Right. You know, I'm, I, it's just like, you are my child. And yep. so it's like... All the other, if we call them steps of love, right. have kind of been pre- been presupposed by this point. Absolutely. You know, and now, I mean, applying them in immediate context, like you go up to right. to his room, you know, you're with him. You're almost, yep. you're demonstrating that on a regular basis, and then it allows the immediate conversation to take place. But right. on an ongoing basis, we can almost assume that that kind of love makes more sense in a parenting relationship. Sure. Anyways. So when you try to bring that friend to friend, you know, one-to-one with a person, yep. it seems so out of context because you're not above this person right. you're that, not parent to that person right. i mean you're, you're that's why you never lead with if it, it may, yeah it, it's if we look at it that way it, it doesn't even fit doesn't no, even make sense. it doesn't fit now now the, there are there i think there is a, a couple exceptions to this first of all if someone is in immediate danger uh, uh of doing self-harm or harm to others man we don't care if they're feeling our love or not we yeah. we act right I think the other thing is when you are with a group of people, a community of people who are on the inside of your life, we engage in the good crino we talked about. So I've got people in my life who uh, hold me um, to being honest about pornography and and how I've done with guarding my eyes, guarding my heart. Um, and and I, I think that it, I've given them almost permission to love me towards something. Right? Yeah. Now, now, even if I didn't give them permission, as someone who claims to follow Jesus, as someone who loves Jesus, if this were an egregious, you know, outworking of sin, I mean, yes, in the community, it has to be addressed. Paul's really clear about this. 
there are times there's something so damaging to the community it has to be addressed no question about it but how do you address it well what i'm just saying is jesus is really clear first go to the person by yourself bring another if if that person doesn't respond realize that you go to talk to somebody in the midst of uh, your own sin and brokenness so you do it gently you do it without superiority you don't you do it without judgment you do it as a fellow sinner absolutely 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 but let's say i'm a, i'm not in that context so the guy who asked the question at the at the top of the podcast my brother just came out what do i do well here are my suspicions i could be dead wrong on all of this number one because you're a christian if he knows you're a christian he's automatically going to assume that you don't approve Mm -hmm. so the surprise will be when you come alongside him and say dude i love you no matter what yeah you're my brother no matter what and you don't add a qualifier yeah there's no qualifier and then you demonstrate it with your actions over the course of time that you are for him you are with him you are committed to him in my view that kind of sustained unrelenting unqualified love opens people up to the grace and truth of jesus Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the other thought is my job is never to change anybody I, i mean i i've tried I can't even change myself. My job is to represent Jesus well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if if what I feel like representing Jesus well means is that I have to let everyone else know about their sin, then you're not you, you've missed Jesus. Because yeah. Jesus was really clear. Anytime someone wanted to point out sin in others, he always directed it back to them. Mm-hmm. So here's the rich young ruler, um, wealthy guy. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, oh, keep the commandments. And then he lists them, but he skips the coveting part. The, the guy says, dude, I'm, I'm in. I've done that my whole life. And he says, okay, well, then go sell everything. Give to the poor and follow me. Jesus doesn't say that to everybody. He doesn't say to everybody, sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me. But to this guy, who would have been the prime example of blessedness in the first century, Jesus says, nope, that's your deal. Yeah. So w- whenever I am tempted and i am to get into these conversations and to make sure that everyone knows my position because i'm getting that feedback what do you think have you gone liberal yeah have you gone rob bell honest right everyone's got to know and and i just I, i just find it interesting that that before we do all the warm fuzzy stuff uh, everyone's got to know where, what your position is, and then we can do the warm fuzzy stuff. I just think that's that's bogus. Yeah, that's... absolutely think it's bogus. Yeah, and that's why uh, when the outside world thinks of the church, at least those under thirty, right? What were the statistics that came out of the book Unchristian? Anti-homosexual was number one. Now, let me tell you, listener, if you're okay with that, then you're not following Christ. If you're okay with that, you're not following Jesus. You're doing him harm. I'm not okay with that. And I, as part of the problem, I want to try to be part of the solution. And that means you front love. You front love. And action, not just in words. So I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm committed to you, regardless of whether or not you ever change. That's the kind of love I show my kids. Yeah. And then, and there will be times... When uh, you'll see something and go, hey, I mean, my wife and I operate the same way. You know, she told me the other day, I said, man, something just seems off. Something just seems off in you. And I said, I think there's a lot off. 
But I knew exactly what she meant, and we had a great conversation out of it. Uh, but that comes embedded in a, in a web of, of relationship that we often don't take time to cultivate with those we claim to love, but hate their sin. Yeah. Boom. So standard disclaimers apply, brothers and sisters. We're going to shut this down. I'm going to think of 8,000 things I should have said or said better. Um, we don't manuscript this, obviously. So... Yeah. Good Lord. I, and we pray, <laughs> literally, we pray every single time that um, that we represent Jesus well. Uh, I mean, that's the goal. And, and we believe part of representing him well is the recognition that my, he'd call into question my sin first, and, and then he would call into question all the assumptions on every side of every issue. That no one gets the, no one gets the position of superiority. No one gets the moral high ground. Uh, when Jesus is involved, and that he'd have words of challenge and grace for every side, every side. So we're trying to do those justice. Um, we love interacting with you. Um, Twitter, Facebook, I have a public page on Facebook too. Um, you can follow Andy on uh, Twitter as well as our producer. And you're on Facebook, right? Uh, yeah, it's just it's just my personal account. I, if, if there's anything, uh, if you wanted to follow me, I'd, yeah, on Twitter, Andy underscore Lara, and then on uh, Instagram at Kingdom Artist kingdom artist yeah that sounds voxy yeah a little bit um and laura is spelled l-a-r-a yep uh he also administrates um my public page and and mm-hmm. helps out with some other things so it's it's mm-hmm. it's wonderful you can follow us on subversivekingdom.com is kind of where these all get posted first before they go to itunes right. if they're of benefit would you um subscribe would you share would you like um We've been absolutely overwhelmed by how well-received, and I don't mean well-received like universally acclaimed. I mean well-received right. like engaged with. Yeah, yeah. That has been that has been absolutely outstanding. We yeah. beat Driscoll. We beat Driscoll's <laughs> we beat, podcast. We beat Driscoll. We're, we're fighting anger with anger. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're coming out on top. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, we we really do. All the um, that and that's just it. That's what's going to help keep this thing going along is is your guys' feedback. You know, letting us know how this is uh, sitting with you, your opinions, your thoughts. I mean, for us, our, our love for the church, our love for God's people, and our love for Jesus is is what we like to expose and break down here and, and you know we're yep. all in this together trying to figure this out yeah and, and part of it is we're trying to be a bit provocative I, I think that i think jesus used rabbinic hyperbole uh you know if if your right hand causes you to send you know cut it off um i i don't see a lot of right right hand missing people so i think we've all sort of or if your eyes cause you to stumble you know poke them out well so, so every now and again, you know, I, I think we should state things um, in an extreme way to budge the whole conversation towards the middle. And the goal is never for you to agree with me. The goal is to is to read the text. If you've never um, said yes to this Jesus, read the book of Luke. Just meriting in it. Email us questions about it. Because um, I think what you'll see is that Jesus is so surprising and that none of us can do him justice. Only only himself. Uh, So anyway, we'll do our little rabbinic closing. And uh, again, thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Thank you again. And until next time. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com 
forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.